0: Welcome to Living Orthodoxy, an invitation to a deeper life in Christ, a podcast of St. Philip Orthodox Church in Southerton, Pennsylvania, dedicated to connecting the liturgical and spiritual life of the Orthodox Parish with the life of the Orthodox home, presenting the weekly homilies of our parish pastors, Father Noah Buscelli and Father James Thayer, as well as discussions of the liturgical year and Orthodox Life and Practice by Justin Gold and Jeff Hyatt. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does it take to be a follower of Christ? Jesus begins by declaring that first, we must want to be his follower. We must desire it. Whoever desires to come after me, he says... God always asks us first to examine ourselves, to take stock of ourselves. God's very first question to man, Adam, in the garden was, where are you? If we had read the segment of the gospel immediately before this verse, we would have heard the story of Christ asking Peter and the disciples, who do you say that I am? Christ always asks us first to examine our hearts and see what it is that we really desire. And what do we desire? Isn't it usually that he would follow after us? We want to lead and have God fulfill our wishes. Father Hopko said that most of our private prayers are simply us telling God what he already knows and what we think he should do about it. We don't desire to follow. We want to lead. When Christ asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter confesses you are the Christ. But then Jesus immediately tells his followers about the cross, that he must suffer and die, and after three days rise again. Peter took Jesus aside to tell him that he really shouldn't be saying things like that. The Messiah should be leading a different direction. Peter wanted to tell him how to do it. He wanted to lead, not follow. And for this, he was strongly rebuked. Jesus called him Satan, because it is Satan that tries to convince us that there is a way to success by avoiding or going around the cross. And like Peter, this is how we want the relationship to be. We want to lead and have God as our good luck charm to help us fulfill our plans and our dreams. So the first thing necessary is to want to follow, to desire it. And how does Christ react to this desire? Seminarian David, a few weeks ago, talked about this reaction to the desire to follow Christ in the story of Zacchaeus, a hated tax collector. Zacchaeus desired to see Jesus. When Zacchaeus heard Jesus was coming, he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree to be able to see him over the crowd. And Jesus went right to him, and looking up at him in the tree, told him to hurry down because he wanted to be with him at his house, where he was living, right now, today. Or the story of the prodigal son, which we heard just before we began Great Lent. How the son decided to leave his father's house and go waste his money and life, and he wound up in the pig pen. The father allowed him to wander into the far country. Jesus, too, never forces himself on us. We always remain free to make our choice to follow or to wander. The scriptures say next that he came to his senses and said to himself, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. He desired to return. He was on his way home rehearsing this prepared speech and before he could get out a single word, his father came running out to meet him and embraced him and prepared a celebration meal for him. This is how even our smallest desire to follow after God is met by our loving Father. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. If we have the desire, the next thing we must do is to deny ourselves. But what does this mean? The word for deny is the Greek word aparnia It doesn't mean to deny yourself as in deny yourself meat or chocolate. It means deny in the sense of renounce or disown yourself. And this disowning of ourselves is exactly what we must do and what we have done already in our baptism. It is a struggle every day because we continually try to take back ownership of ourselves, to put ourselves in charge. Jesus says that the more successful we are in this world, the harder it is to disown ourselves. No thanks, I'm doing just fine on my own. To think that we own ourselves is a lie, and we live that lie. Christ told a story about ownership to some Pharisees who were trying to trip him up and get him into trouble with the civil authorities. The Pharisees asked him, Teacher, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus asked them to show him a coin, and when they produced it, he asked them, whose image is stamped on this coin? And they said, Caesar's. To which Jesus replied, render therefore to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. Brothers and sisters, it is we who have God's image stamped on us. We are his, just as the coin had Caesar's image on it, and was therefore Caesar's. God owns us, not we ourselves. We must deny ourselves, disown ourselves, and acknowledge that we are made in his image. It is he who is our true owner. That denial, that transfer of ownership from us to him, is our life's work. It is already the truth of the matter, that God is our rightful owner and not we ourselves, but it is our sole occupation in life to realize and conform to this truth, to repent. Jesus' call to us to disown ourselves sounds like losing our life, but in fact it is saving it. This is what he means by, whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The monks warn us, this life has been given to you for repentance, do not waste it on other things. But we do occupy ourselves with other things. And isn't this what Jesus was talking about when he asked, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. All of us are granted a cross, and we must take it up. None of us will escape suffering and death. Jesus is not offering an escape from this world. He is offering to make that cross and suffering redemptive and saving if we will let him. Think of the story of Jesus' cross. He was crucified between two thieves. All three of them had been given crosses to bear quite literally, and all three suffered and died. The unrepentant thief on Christ's left hand received his cross with cursing and anger. And isn't this the way we most often receive any cross-like event in our lives? He blamed God and reviled him, the thief on Christ's right hand, while still on his cross, was able to ask Christ to remember him in his kingdom. His desire to follow Christ was met immediately with God's mercy and love. He remained on his cross, but was able, by desiring to be with Christ, to hear the promise that he would be united to Christ. This day, you will be with me in paradise. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If we are not following Christ, we're just following ourselves. When we follow ourselves, we just go around in circles. It even sounds silly we wind up wandering and lost. To follow Christ is to join with him, to be united to him, as we say at our baptism. At Matins, we prayed with the psalmist, my soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. We follow hard after him, but are held in his hand. Once we become followers rather than leaders, our cross becomes his cross. It is changed from being an instrument of death and suffering to becoming the way through death and suffering to resurrection and life. His death is our death, but there is no death in him. His is a deathless death, and because we are following him, united to him, so too our death is deathless. Billy Graham said once that someday you will read in the newspapers that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe it, because on that day I will have never been more alive. Death is more than biological death. Death is all forms of separation from God, but if we are following Christ, if we are united to Christ, there is no separation, no death, only life. How do we manage to grab onto him, to follow him? We must at every moment bring him into remembrance. If I'm out hiking, and I'm following on the trail, I will spend that time in constant conversation with my partner. It would be strange to follow someone and never speak to each other, but we spend our days in constant and monotonous conversations with ourselves. We even have a name for it. We call it our inner monologue. And that voice in our head says some pretty crazy stuff. We must change from a monologue to a dialogue. We need to establish running conversation with Christ. Jesus says, My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. We must learn to hear a voice other than our own. Father Boniface told me that I should say short prayers constantly throughout the day to learn to keep God always present in front of me. Simple prayers like, Lord, help me before beginning a task, or Lord, have mercy on thy handmaiden before I would enter a room of any patient. And what happens when we desire to follow him in even the smallest way or with the tiniest gesture? We find that when we desire to follow him, he's already running to meet us. Isn't this the whole story of the scriptures from beginning to end? That God loves us and is chasing after us. That he is looking for us as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. That he wants to come and meet us where we live and be with us at our house today as he did with Zacchaeus. When we follow him, we find that he comes to us. The place he is leading us is to himself. In a few minutes, Christ will come to us, we who as a church desire to deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow him, and we will, for a few minutes, be invited to put down our crosses and lay aside all earthly cares. He will prepare a meal for us, as did the father for the prodigal son, he will feed us with Himself to strengthen us to take up our crosses and follow Him. And we need that supernatural food because the task is hard and even impossible-sounding. With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Perhaps your cross is a physical illness. Maybe you struggle with finances, or a personal relationship, or with addiction, or any one of countless numbers of crosses. Every cross presents an opportunity to be saved if we are willing, with God's help, to deny ourselves and unite that cross to Christ. May He grant us even so much as the desire to do this. And may we then be able to say with the whole church Behold, through the cross, joy has come into all the world. Glory to Jesus Christ.